The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy, Dex, with the I Am Pits Podcast, and I'm back for another episode. Pardon the absence. Brother's been working 60-plus hours a week. I'm a little tired, but, you know, it's always good to be back in the studio. But before we get into it, you know, I got to give a shout-out to my sponsor, Gunfighter Trading Company. You all, I've been telling you all for weeks about this company, the three cops out of Erie, Pennsylvania, Go and support the guy, these guys. Go to gunfightertrading.co and get your merch, man. I'm sitting here right now burning the NCO candle, and it smells phenomenal. And I'm also wearing the Gunfighter Trading Company t-shirt. I know you can't see me because guess what? I don't have video yet. I was working on it, but yep, your brother don't know much about the video technology side of things. I don't know what you're saying. You've been talking about it for a long time and still haven't done it. Trust me, I bought the camera. I'm working on it. So I'm going to need y'all to give me time. All right, so I'm working on it. But until that comes, do yourself a favor. Go to Gunfighter Trading Company. And don't forget to put in the code for 15% off. Code PITS. That's right, my last name. PITS. P-I-T-T-S. Y'all know what it is. All right, but with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest in studio. Was hoping to have the video set up, but things didn't work out. But regardless, I have with me... Some would say infamous, some would say famous. <laughs> Retired LMPD Detective Sergeant shot in the line of duty on that fateful night of the whole Breonna Taylor incident here in Louisville. Detective Sergeant John Madley. What's up? What's up, man? What up, man? Excited to be here with you, man. We've been working on this for a while. Finally got it, finally got it worked out. I know, man. I was like, all I need is 12 seconds, bro. <laughs> as long as it ain't in the dark, we're good. <laughs> so I heard a, I heard a rumor about that, the, your book. Yeah. Uh, somebody said that your wife named it after you, 12 Seconds in the Dark. Is that true? Well, you know, it depends on which night it is. <laughs> <laughs> I see he came in here uh, drinking a rain energy drink. Yeah. So he's trying to bump that 12 up to 25 seconds in the dark, That's man. <laughs> but, man, I really appreciate you coming to the house, coming to the studio, man. So what have you been up to the last few weeks? Man, just been traveling. Um, been, been fortunate enough to be able to speak at some narcotics conferences, heading to an FOP conference in a couple weeks here. Uh, so... Uh, the doors have been opening up and, you know, blessed that way because we know how we went out. The doors in LMPD weren't so great. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's fortunate that, you know, God's opened other doors to be able to help other people. I don't know if you know they got a rehire program if you considered it. Yeah, I still don't <laughs> think they'd hire me. I don't, I don't care how desperate they are. I don't, I don't think that door would be open for me. I don't know. LMPD is pretty desperate, bro. I saw, <laughs> I saw uh, they let out, uh, what's his name, Brandon, uh, the guy, the the black officer they got locked up for the oh, LMPD. Oh, yeah, the explore guy. The explore yeah. guy. I was like, as bad as LMPD is now, they probably be dumb enough to hire this probably dude put him as a school resource officer. <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> would. I mean, oh, we had man. all the proof that they were doing what they did, and they still. Oh, you know, uh, it's funny how that mayor in chief hid that for years, and, and there's no repercussions on them for doing zero, that. Zero, man. Unreal. Zero. Criminal it, activity. They con- they conducted at the highest levels, mm-hmm. and uh, they walked, they skated on it. Unbelievable. All of them. And, no, and that's the thing. It's always the guys at the bottom that 
get picked up and get sent away. But oh, yeah. nobody in command, bro. That's right. We're either going to train you how to do it. We're going to equip you to do it. We're going to send you out there, tell you to do it. And once you do it, if things go sideways, we don't know who you are. We, yep. we didn't have nothing to do with it. They, like they didn't do the background <laughs> and that, you know, they didn't know what they was getting when they was hiring these yeah. people, man. That's the crazy part, bro. So, man, we're going to take it back for a lot. Of, I'm sure a lot of people kind of know your story and kind of know what's been going on with you with the whole Breonna Taylor thing and you being out here on the Internet all over the place, man, putting out the truth that people need to hear. But we're going to take it back for people that aren't familiar. So where are you from originally? I'm born and raised in Louisville, man. Uh, originally over at 41st and Market. My first four years of my life lived there. And then uh, moved down to the Portland neighborhood at 22nd and Bank. Um, was down there until, man, I, th I had three years on the police department. I was 30 years old before I moved out of Portland. And so what people don't know, when people think of the West End of Louisville, they just think of black folks. Which I don't know. There's a section in Louisville called Portland, which is the white folk. But guess what? <laughs> they hood. That's so right. So John's got some swagger, man. <laughs> He's uh, what we call them Portland Knights. That's it. <laughs> Love my Portland Knights. Did you have the uh, Portland fade back in the day? No, in the my smoke? dad wouldn't let me do that. I didn't have the little waterfall or the rat tail or none of that <laughs> stuff, man. man. And, you know, and it's so – because I met your father a couple – a couple, I think it was a couple months ago at your book event here in Louisville, man. Dude, one of the nicest people I've ever met. Just a genuine good dude, man. I'll tell you what. He's If, if I could live up to him, I'd be somebody. And I don't mean somebody in the world because – People don't appreciate what he is. You know, he was a pastor or has been a pastor, still preaches since before I was born. I'm 50, so 50-something years he's been doing this. And um, I think 54. And I tell you what, a lot of people you see in public, and then you go to their house and they're different people. Completely, yes. He is the exact same day, night, home, away, church, amusement park. It doesn't matter. He is the same person. And um, that's one of the things I always try to do in the police department. You know, you see these guys that go kiss people's butts to get oh, places. Yeah. That wasn't going to be me. I was just going to be who I am, you know, support my guys, take care of them, and then let the chips fall where they may. And if I don't get promoted or if I don't get jobs because I wasn't somebody's little pet, it didn't so bother me. You know, I just I just did what I did. Man, so let me ask you, man. I know a lot of people say that it's not people's fault that they grow up in a certain environment. And a lot of people grow up in these environments like you growing up in that type of environment. Like I said, 41st and Market is the hood. Portland is the hood where, you know, most of our homicides and our crime occurs in that area. How is it that you were able to grow up in that environment and still turn out the way you were where you never got bogged down to that? Because I know the pool, especially as a kid, to get involved in that stuff is the pool has got to be strong, man. It, it was. But the, the key was a, a healthy home. I mean, that was that's it, period. Uh, I had parents who put, you know, structure around me and they had. Uh, discipline and and rules and if you stepped outside those rules there was punishment and you know at the time it would make me mad you know as a kid you didn't understand right. and you know, why does so-and-so get to do it and i don't or you know i gotta be home from playing ball at the park at a certain time because they knew when the sun goes down nothing good happened in those neighborhoods and um and, and you know i tell people that all the time too you know they might ride around the west end during the day and it's one thing when that sun goes down, it's like Fallujah down there. It's totally different. Oh, it's a completely different, different country. Moment. And people don't people who aren't from that area or who never go in that area only see stuff on TV. They can't understand it, and and you just can't until you're in that environment. And uh, so the fortunate thing for me was the boundaries my parents put, and uh, you know having a two parent home because uh, let's face it, in these communities there's not a lot of two parent not, homes. Man. A lot of moms raising kids, and uh, one of the big differences I've seen since I was a kid until my last couple of years on the department down the West end was at least growing up. 
especially in the black community, not so much in the white, but I had plenty of black friends. And in that community, moms raised them. And there was no disrespect given out to mom. No. Other people didn't talk about people's mom. And that kid, when mom said something, that was the rule. And they obeyed and they listened. And and you've seen as well as I have, man, things have just changed. And there's no generation. respect for their moms. Neighbors, Dads aren't involved. Bro, yeah. Police, you know, school teachers. There's no respect, period. And it used to be, you know, you could the neighbor next door could correct you. Oh, yeah. But God forbid, you know, I see your son shooting up or shooting up of the block or stealing somebody's Kia. Don't talk to my baby like you ain't yeah. got no reason to talk to my baby. Yep. He would never do none of that. It, it used to be they the, the, the neighbor would slap you around and you get home, you get punished from your parents. It's not like yeah. that anymore. And, man, when do you think that transition kind of started? Man, I don't know with the youth. I mean, that's slowly been a thing going. Um, but I did see a huge change in on the streets, probably 2014, 13. Um, it was Obama's second administration. First one, no big deal. I didn't see anything. But you could feel that that whole shift on the street especially with kids, because there's plenty of times, you know, we talk to these OGs, man, these guys in their 30s and 40s who've been around, done a lot of stuff, uh, been to prison, some of them escaped, escaped it, but uh, you talk to them, you know, because they're willing to talk to you on the street when you're yeah. out there. They'll, they'll shoot it with you, and uh, as long as you're respectful and they're respectful, everything's good, oh, and Ricky most Moon. of the time it is. Oh, yeah, Ricky Moon, same <laughs> way, man, all of them. It doesn't matter who it was down there. Reggie Rice. Yeah, the yeah. killers, all of them. If, if you were respectful to them, they'd talk to you. Yep. And uh, I remember about 14, 15, man, we started stopping all these kids with guns. I mean, I'm talking about AKs and ARs and crazy stuff. I don't even know how they get their hands on it. 14, 15 years old, especially down there like 35th and Broadway. That was a huge spot with the kids with guns and fights and shot shooting and all that. But then you talk to the older guys and they'd be like, dude, we're kind of scared. scared. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, there's no code on the street anymore. It used to be, didn't mess with cops. You didn't hit, do a hit on somebody without permission. All these different rules of the street that nobody knew about that are suddenly, they're no good anymore. And these kids are just running around doing whatever they want. I feel like it was, a, I don't know if you remember, the summer of Hot Boy, John Jones. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's kind of when We it chased really, him around all summer. All summer, yes. man. That dude was shooting up Louisville. And I was like, man. And I kind of feel like that's when it really, really started to take hold. Like, he was the one that kind of took the whole you thing and just blew it out of proportion, man. With the yeah, we finally world. nabbed him up, I think, at like 36 and bank down there is where we ended up getting him. Yeah. There was a white car and finally snagged him up one night. But, yeah, he was out of control. And, yeah, you're right. Because what, what people don't realize is once you do, like, cut the head off the snake, if you want to call it, in a certain organization or group, man, these young bucks want to come up and everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody. And then you got chaos. And uh, kind of like when they took the projects away. You know, and, and did the scattered housing. At least in the projects, you knew when a crime committed. Okay, so and so's family's in Beecher. Let's go down to Beecher and look around, knock, talk, look around, sit up, whatever. They always came back home. Always. Everybody. And uh, and and once they did the scattered housing, and tore them down. Man, it it flourished crime throughout the city, and made it so much harder to pinpoint and solve things. Yeah, man, and it's a shame what's happening to Louisville now, man, and. You know, the one thing Louisville's missing is good officers, man. And that's one thing I say. I didn't know you personally for years. I've always known of you mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, man, I'll be, I'll be working. I'll be, hey, there's the cool guys, man. There's the, <laughs> you were, you, know, there's you the were Marshall Task Force. I remember when you got that. We were in Viper and you, you went to Marshall Task Force. We don't, first rule about Viper, we don't talk about Viper. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Especially because they got named in the DOJ oh, report. Oh, screw bro. the DOJ report. If you're listening, screw that. That's hey, such. Oh, they they took they took these little bitty tidbits. They're kind of like the devil. Took a little bit of truth and added a bunch of lie to it, and Man. people are buying it. Yeah, well, you see what they're the uh, activists in Louisville are actually asking for now, right? What's that? So they're asking for one reparations. 
because of all the DOJ report. Secondly, they want all the officers' names in the DOJ report. They want their names. So are we going to be like L.A. and give them the list yeah. of all the pictures and undercover names of yep. those guys or, and all that? We already did that before. Then with a retired Lieutenant Colonel Parks. Didn't she, wasn't she feeding info? That's what we hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so she apparently was, she was feeding info. Again, no uh, no punishment for those who no. are who are telling the enemy, if you want to call it that, the people who hate the police, where your next coordination is going to be. Yeah, crazy man. Kind of dangerous. Very dangerous. The next, you know, she steps down and she's gone. Yeah. Oh, they actually threw her a party. Did they threw her a party? Yeah. Did you? Where's your party? You didn't get a party. <laughs> I didn't even get a medal for getting <laughs> shot. <laughs> they said Purple Heart's too political. You can't have you out here getting shot and getting a medal for that. Well, even better, man. We had the uh, the LMPD award banquet, bro. They didn't give out any awards for any officer work done for 2020, bro. Unreal. <laughs> yeah, like I was yeah, like, like we put on, those dude. guys in. You know, okay, fine. Don't give me an award, whatever. I don't care. I do, but I don't. At yeah. the same time, like whatever. It's it's a little material thing that'll be gone one day. But the guys who actually saved my life that we put in the award for, why didn't they get it? Nothing. You know, it's just these guys deserve it, and they're still there, most of them. Most of them are. And I'm like, man, that's just just another spit in the face. Bro, they do it like the uh, CIA with those uh, clandestine operations. Hey, we know you did some good work. Here's your medal. Have a little quick ceremony. We're going to take that joint back real quick. This never happened, but thank you. Yes. Go about your way. That's right. (laughs) Man, so what year did you get into policing? Uh, 2000. So you started in 2000, man. Which June, June of 2000. June of 2000. Man. And I, you had aspirations to go into the military, correct? No. Here was the thing. I was dating a girl from, man, I knew her from the time I was nine and she, or I was 10, she was nine. We kind of dated off and on all through, even through high school, high school sweetheart. Ended up marrying at 19. She was 18. And my regret was always not going to the military. Yeah. I wish I had, man. That was just you know, people are just built different that want to do that stuff. And, oh, and I always regretted not doing that. And I always told my son when he was coming up, man, think of what your, uh, your future, forget about this little, this little stuff right now, because it does, it's going to be gone. You know, the friends you have now probably aren't going to be the friends you have when you're an adult. Yep. The girls you date now probably aren't going to be the girls you're married to, or, you know, have a, a serious <laughs> relationship with. So, so think about you and what you want to do. Cause you don't want these regrets. Yeah, man. Didn't join the military and still end up getting shot, bro. And no VA check to show. Unreal. <laughs> Might have been safer in the military. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so you, uh, you, you and her get married, and you join the police department in 2000. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, this is also another testament to you, because you and her are no longer married. Right. But, dude, I remember I randomly ran into her one day. She was like, oh, that's my ex-husband. And, oh, she was so nice to talk so well about you. I was like, nobody, <laughs> nobody's ex-wife talks about them this well. Nobody. Lord I paid her a lot of money. No. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, man, it just randomly ran into. No, we get along great. That, we we do kid stuff together still, and and all and that. That's awesome. That's yeah. how it's supposed to be. But that ain't the thing. But that's that's just a testament to your character, man. And both you all, even though you all aren't together, still working together as parents to raise your kids, man. That's spectacular, bro. That's right. that's freaking. It took awesome. some growth. Oh, know, yeah. I ain't gonna lie. In the beginning, it was tough. But once once we got past the selfishness, you know, and and thought about the kids, and things got a lot easier. Even better, man. So where did you start out policing? Because in uh, Louisville. Well, in my training phase, I was in Portland. That's where I wanted to go. That was my first one. You wanted to go. I wanted, wanted to, go to go back to, go to Portland. To... Yeah. Just because really? I knew the area. I knew the people. I knew who's dirty. I knew who wasn't. You know. Man, so did that make it hard for you? Living there? Living there and <laughs> well, locking up your next door Fortunately, neighbor? they only let me stay down there for 16 weeks. And then they put me out in the, the third <laughs> district, which is the fourth now. Okay. That's better. Um, it was before merger. And uh, so I was out there and, and 
Taylor Boulevard and, and 7th Street. So we just called that the people that tried to get out of Portland. They got as far as they could before they ran out of gas. And <laughs> kind of where they ended up. So it's Portland South. I'm trying to think of that little street in the 2nd Division over by 15th Street, bro. It's like M, not M Street, but it's like little 7th. It's a little section called like 7th Street, right? It's weird. Over by 15th, over by the gas station and the tracks, man. It's a little sliver. It's like a little mini Portland up in there, bro. Oh, the, yes, yes. A uh, little, uh, do they call it Little Iraq or Little? Yes, bro. Little yeah. something like yeah, that. But yeah, it's like a one little block, bro. And I was like, man, because it's like right next to the black neighborhood. But then all of a sudden you just run into Portland over in the West. Like, whoa, what yeah. in the world is this, yeah. man? <laughs> and Portland's different than when I grew up. I'll be honest, there wasn't many black people in Portland when I grew no. up. There were some, but they were over on like 25th and St. X. Mm-hmm. And then they would come to the park and play ball and stuff. But other than that, you know, it was just a bunch of poor white people. Yeah, bro. Well, it's a, it's it's definitely a mix now. And I, yeah. I was just working there not long ago, bro. And it's, like I said, it's completely different, man. But Yeah, I remember before I got in the police department, I lived at 26 in Montgomery. And uh, and by that time, things started to become more diverse because we're talking, you know, late 90s. And... Um, and there was, as I pulled up and got out of my car, I heard a gunshot. And right across the street from me, some dude got shot in the head. In his oh. house. Yeah, so, I mean, I still lived there another four or five years, but. Man, did you have any worries or fears wearing that uniform and living there and parking that car there? Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't park a car there because we didn't get them until oh. our th- first three years. Gotcha. They were, they were strict on that back then. Um, but, yeah, I would kind of try to hurry and get in get in out. <laughs> I didn't want to advertise I was a cop down there. But I'm sure the. Oh, Mark sure Brown the, lived not too far from me. He lived there really? his entire career. Yeah. I think uh, Chauncey, he lived down there too, man. Yeah. Chauncey. He lived over in West End. Yeah. Or 26 and something down there. Yeah, yeah. man. I, I applaud y'all, bro. That was. Cause I remember when I started, they had the uh, program where, hey, man, we're giving officers new Half officers. offer. Yeah, like $200,000 house. We'll give it to you for like $5. We yeah. just want you to live down here. I was like, nah. You got to sign a contract to live there X amount yeah. of years. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. Couple people did it, man. They profited off of yeah. it, man. And the thing is, we got a lot of officers that are from Portland, dude. They're phenomenal officers, man. Well, that's what I always said, man. You got these guys that like, I ain't bashing any score or anybody, but I'm gonna give you an example. And if you get mad, you get mad. Whatever, everybody's mad at me anyway. So the guy goes to Trinity, right? Then he goes away to college to wherever UK. Never set foot in the West End. Never dealt with many black people. Let's be honest. They say, I want to be a cop. So at 22, they come, they become a cop, and then they throw them in the West End. And there's no diversity training much in the academy. No. Because I remember the best class, the best in-service I ever took was a diversity class. And when we, when it came out, it's like every other class. You go, oh, oh, man, man I got to go this stupid thing. It's ridiculous. What I need to know about diversity. Yeah. And I grew up around black people. Our church was very diverse, man. It was probably 25% black and great friends in that church growing up. So that helped me to – to not come up with this slanted view of black and white and all that stuff. Plus, Generation X, we were taught don't see color, right? Yeah. Don't see color. That was a huge thing. I remember growing up. So you just didn't see color. You're black. I'm white. Big deal. We're, we're friends. We cool. Yeah. And um, so when uh, I lost my train of thought there, where were we going with that? Um, we were uh, diversity training. Oh, yeah. So so they, they put that out. I was like, man, I've been around black people my whole life. I know what's up. And so we get in there. And they get up there, and I don't even remember who taught it. I think it was somebody from the outside of the department came in. And they were just talking about, like on scenes, so like in the, in the projects. You know, when there was a shooting, there'd be two, 300 people surround you, right, And on the, when you're on this crime oh, scene. Yeah. And then that one lady would come up screaming, yelling, and crying, and hitting on you and all that stuff. And you'd get mad at her. And he's like, dude, this ain't personal. Black people show emotions different than white people. We extra. Yeah, we extra, like, man. They're like, you just got to let it go. Just – 
just hug them. Just tell them, you know, I'm here for you, whatever. <laughs> and once, and he said, he said several different things in there that made me go, Oh, duh, the culture, it's all about culture, you know, and how mm-hmm. you can adapt to others cultures. And I know that's a big thing right now. Cause you're seeing all this crap on the internet and, and people want to divide us using it, which is stupid. They it's should be bringing dumb. us together with culture instead of instead of pushing us apart. But, but man, that was probably the best class I had on on the police department. You know, I I had a there's an older black officer on the department, man, and he he actually made a good point. You know, we don't always agree on a lot of stuff, but he was like, man, we give new officers in the academy training on Hispanic culture. Like literally, we have like a couple of days where we talk about Hispanic culture, but that's it. But then you, you know take these young kids, you know white whatever whatever color they are that ain't never really lived in the hood i'm black but i you know i never really grew up in the hood i spent a year in the hood of milwaukee and my mom protected me from it right so when i came to louisville and started working in the west end as a black officer it was an eye-opening i was just like man i thought i knew but i didn't know you know it was just a complete different ball game man but we don't give these young officers that aren't from that area any sort of no no introduction man to where it's like hey this is what it's like going to be like down here. I mean, nothing, but we just throw them out there. I mean, my thing is like take them to a church service, something. Well, the like, city has this, or they did. I think they've renamed it and it's under some other guys now to funnel all this money that they, they use, but through these nonprofits, but you know, the interrupters program. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, so why not have them dudes come in and talk to you Yeah. and say, look, we don't really like you. I mean, tell the truth. We don't really like you, but this is what you're going to deal with. You know, they're on city payroll. Why not have them come in and do something? Making 100000 a year. Yeah, I mean, to... Still in gangs. <laughs> still raping people and shooting people, people and dealing drugs. I mean, we caught... I can't tell you how many during that program... When that initial program started. <laughs> and it was just hush-hush. You know, it never made any news. You know, Unbelievable. I told them I, I came up with this ideal. I was like, man, before anybody gets into the hiring process, the first thing we need to take all police uh, prospects to is a black comedy nightclub. And make them sit out, sit up front and we go tell the comedian, we want you to be as raw, nasty, and mean as possible. Talk about their mama, talk about their dog, <laughs> talk about their sister. And if at the end of that comedy show, you tell them, this is what you're going to be dealing with on a daily basis. Yep. They're going to be like, you know what? I'm good, bro. No yeah. thanks. This ain't, ain't for me. For me. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't for me. That should be the first. That, that would save us a lot of heartache and a lot of money, you know, putting people through the academy. A lot of lawsuits putting us these people through the academy that get on the street for like a week. I'm like, nah, man, I can't do this, bro. Like, what did you think you were getting into taking this job? Yep. This ain't, you know, this ain't it was a Chicago PD. I was going to say, unfortunately, I was going to say the same thing. Unfortunately for the guys that want to get on, it's not what you see on TV. And unfortunately for the citizens who think things are like they are on TV, it's not. Not even close. Not even man. close. Not, and that's what I try to tell most people. No, people don't understand the day in and day out of what we really do and deal with, you know, but I don't, that, I don't know if you were on back then, but when CSI first came out, Oh God, people expected you to solve every crime because of what they saw on TV. You're like, that's not really how it works. Somebody threw a rock through my window, man. I got the rock. Can you yeah. print it? Like, can you get like, the DNA off yeah. that? <laughs> like, uh, that's not how know. this works, bro. <laughs> Super funny, man. So how long were you on the streets before you went to doing narcotics? So I was on late watch for five years. And then 2005, I went to the 4th Division Flex. Uh, did that until 2009. And then um, my boss was like, hey, are you taking the sergeant's test? And I would signed up for it, but it was like two weeks out. And I hadn't studied. I hadn't looked at it. I was like, nah, I could care less. I got a great crew here. I'm enjoying what I do. Um, and she was like, hey, look around you, man. Uh, you can either work with these idiots or you can work for them. Which one do you want to do? And I was like, hey, good point. You know, they're promoting a bunch of idiots. So, 
Uh, took the test, got promoted in 2000, the end of 2009. Uh, went back to late watch for about a year and then went to a district detective's office for about a year and a half. And then in 2012, when uh, Viper Startup went to it, till 2015, late 15. Uh, then from 16 to about eight months, I did fourth division flex. Um, and then went to narcotics uh, at the end of 2016 until I retired. Now, was that always a goal for you to work in narcotics? Yeah. yeah I always just enjoyed that. Now, looking back, I would tell other officers be a little more diverse because once retirement comes, you want to have a few more things in your yeah. in your bag. Uh, but it's what I always wanted to do. And, and everywhere I went, that's just kind of the doors that opened up and that's where I ended up. Well, you were definitely good at it, man. You know, it was one of my goals originally starting out and want to be a narc and all this undercover and all this, bro. Then once I got in and saw how the game was, I was like, nah, this ain't for me, man. Definitely, you know, teach us on, man. Like I said, we need those guys that are out there that know the drug game, man. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it, as you you know, it at the end it could come at a high price, unfortunately. Yeah. Because drugs, drugs is very personal, very personal. I mean, we had the officer a couple, what, about a year or two ago. That was, I guess, I don't know what the circumstances was, but he was working at a club driving back home and they opened fire on him on the interstate. Yeah. And that is just that whipped a U-turn to come back and shoot at him again. Bro, I was like, man, that's why I tell people. He was fortunate in that one. He was very fortunate, bro. So, you know, as you want to work the drug game, I was like, man, just realize what you're getting into, man. So we're going to go forward a little bit, man. So you're in your career. And then next thing you know, you find yourself serving this warrant at Breonna Taylor's residence, man. So walk us through kind of how that started for you that night. Okay. Do you want me to go back to where, uh, because, you know, one of the sticking points is how they got the stuff for the warrant. Yeah. Because you weren't initially, you weren't necessarily part of the investigation. No, not at all. There None to serve the warrant. Right. So in, inside, inside narcotics headquarters down there, we had, um, several different units, you know, and they had just started this place-based investigation unit. This was their first, um, actual case and the weird thing about this was at the, at the time I, I would I sit back and I'd scratch my head and go this is something's not, something's off here but at the same time I wasn't involved in it so I thought well maybe they're trying something new because in all my years and all the investigations and all the complaints we worked from the mayor's office and from the chief's office not one time did either the colonels or anybody from the mayor's office come in and get briefed on what we're doing but every Monday you had a representative from the mayor's office and three colonels from the chief's office come down, meet with this group to find out where they're at on this investigation. Now, looking back, we know why, because of the gentrification. Mm -hmm. This was the mayor's pet project. He wanted Elliot cleared so he could have it, so they could clear it out and put in what he had already drawn plans for in 2000, I think it was 17 or 18, UK had already driven, written these plans. There's emails exchanged that show which houses they already had on Elliot and which houses they needed. And it was the two houses they were going after that night. Mm. And so, and then the mayor comes and goes, well, I didn't know anything about that. Well, he's on these emails. He knew all about it. He was part of it. They pushed it. He can say what he wants. But the funny thing is when they were going to put him in a deposition for it, suddenly two days later, he settles the lawsuit for $12 million. Yeah. So he didn't want to have to go under oath and tell the truth about this or lie about it, which what he probably would have done. Um, but that's something the city needs to know. You know, people listen to this. They, they've got to, they got to hear the truth on this because this, this ball got rolling because of the mayor's office. And so when they were coming in every week, I'd scratch my head and look and go, this is so weird. What, why are they coming in every single week to get updates on this? Well, I don't know if it was to kind of 
push these guys along. But these guys had come from Mobile Ninth, most of them, except for for one that was in there, Josh. And they didn't have the experience of running these bigger cases. They were at jump out, you know what I'm jump saying? Street squad, corner, yeah. yeah. So when you come in and go, all right, we need we need this done. Well, they did a good job from what I can tell as far as pole cams, trackers, all these things they were doing, taking pictures. They've got photos of, of Jamarcus Glover going in Breonna Taylor's house empty, coming out with packages, going straight to the trap house. And so that part of the warrant is still factual, but I'll, I'll go back to January of 2020. I was in, I had moved from major case into the parcel interdiction unit. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josh Jaynes and Kelly Goodlett were the two leads on this. So Josh comes to me in the hall and he goes, hey, um, can you find out an address if somebody's getting a package there? And I said, who's it through? He said, it's uh, United States Postal. And I said, Josh, we don't work with Postal because a couple of years before I went there, there was a big stink with Postal and LMPD, yeah. and everybody took their ball and went home. They wouldn't play with each other anymore. And so because they were childish, now we've got this gap between communication that has to go through a third party. Shively, and, right? Yeah. So I, I text Josh, stand there with me. I text the guys at Shively and go, hey, um, here's a name. Here's an address. Do you have anything on it? It was Jamarcus Clover at, at Springfield. He texts back and goes, uh, Salyer did, and said, I think um, uh, we have a case on this. We had, we just did a Glover. We intercepted a box from a Glover. I don't know if it's the same name. I'll let you know. Sounds sounds familiar. I showed Josh that. I exchanged their info. I was done with it. He was out. So about a week later, two weeks later, I was out at UPS pulling packages, and I ran into one of the Shively guys, and I said, hey, man, have you did you talk to Josh about that case? I was just being nosy. He's like, yeah, well, I talked to Kelly. He said we were comparing cars and realized we're talking about a different Glover. Theirs was like James Glover, and theirs was Jamarcus Glover. Both Jay Glovers, which is kind of weird. Uh, he said, but no, I told her it was wrong, wrong one. I went, cool, no skin off my back. I go into work the next day. I passed Josh coming by my desk. I said, Josh, did you hear uh, that it's the wrong Glover? Did they tell you that? He said, yeah, Kelly told me. He said, now I've got to write all these warrants. I was hoping to just do a rip or a reversal, which is somebody delivering a package mm-hmm. that you know is dirty and you intercepting them. And uh, I said, sorry, man. And that was about it. And so then um, in March, we get an email stating, hey, we've got um, several warrants going on. It's going to be manpower intensive. We need some volunteers to come do this. Looked at my schedule. We're working FedEx that night up until 10. The warrant uh, brief started at 10. I sent him an email. I looked at the addresses he had, and I never put two and two together of Springfield being the same one he asked me about several months earlier. Because when you're doing parcel packages, we're doing 40 a week. You got I'm, your own things Dude, to I'm worry looking about, through. Uh, and if I was that smart, I'd be like a, a scientist or something. <laughs> I can't remember all that information. So when that happens, um, I said, give me – I looked at the the – the one, it was Elliot, Elliot, Muhammad Ali, somewhere else down the West End, and then Springfield, which was an apartment. I thought, man, I'm so done with trap houses. That's the reason I left, you know, the street stuff, and, and I'm in packages because I thought, what's the worst? I'm going to get a paper cut? You know, <laughs> joke's on me, I guess. And um, so I'm, I'm like, I'll take that one. It still might be dirty, but it ain't going to be trap house dirty. We know how nasty those things yeah, are. Yeah, man. Filthy. I said, plus the crowd comes out, and they yell at you. I say, I'll just do the apartment. And so they put us a crew of us together in the apartment. We come in that night. We do the brief. Um, they've got no knock, no knock, knock and announce, no knock. And so I took a picture of the board. Thankfully, I did because, you know, the press and everybody else would go, no, you are lying about that. But it was on there, knock and announce. And, um, and they said, we've got, we've got it signed as a no knock, but because we know he's not going to be there, 
it's now not going to announce because it didn't fit the parameters anymore, which was the right thing to do. Now, but the flaw was, and we didn't know it at the time, in this warrant, they had posted, um, the postal inspector verified that Jamarcus Clever was getting packages there. Well, the postal inspector didn't. So that was a mistake on their part. I don't know if that thing was plugged in because this was a several-month investigation mm -hmm. as they're building these warrants, and they didn't take it out. I don't know if it was on purpose. I have no idea. That's not my problem. Um, but the fact is they didn't need to put that in there because they actually had photos of him picking packages up and going there. That was even stronger than saying he's getting some package because they saw him go to the trap house with these. Um, so a mistake on their part, which, which muddied the case like several other things did. Um, again, I don't know if it was malicious or accidental. We'll that, know more that's in trial. My, that's my thing. Like, people are throwing these guys under the bus. And I'm like, man, I, like when I was on Viper with the Marshals, we would do these warrants to go up on people's phones. And these things are kind of already pre-laid and typed out. Mm -hmm. And you take the info out, put in the fresh information because it's already got the wording in there kind of. But you have to be skilled enough to know what you're doing and know what to take out and know what to put in. Yeah. And if you cut corners or get lazy or you miss something, it's going to, you know, it's going to get into that warrant. And then you pass it to your sergeant. It's not his case. He's yeah. just overseeing. He don't necessarily know. Yep. He's looking at it and say, okay, you got a PC here. Yeah, go get it signed yep. by a the judge. Then the judge's ultimate responsibility is to ask you those questions. Yep. And to go, okay, is this legit? Yes, it's legit. Okay, here we go. And they sign it. And that's all we had to go on that night. And, you know, I remember in depositions, they're like, oh, you had to know. You're the one that texted about it. I'm like, dude, I mean, you can say that's fine. You can assume that, but it's just not the way it is. You know, it's not reality. Um, so we go out that night and it's raining. It's now it is, is Thursday, the 12th, getting ready to go into Friday, the 13th. It's a full moon out. It's raining outside. Um, I go out. I have two flat tires on my car yeah. and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, man. <laughs> car behind me's got hilarious. flat tires. I'm like, man, who did this? So go in, I get the stuff. I'm getting dumped on rain now, taking my stuff out of my car, putting in a, a junky old pool car. I forget a couple of things. One of the things was my tourniquet. Cause it was in my glove box. Normally if I took my vest off, it went in my box in case we were out doing something else. So of all nights, forget my tourniquet. Um, then we head out to the house, you know, get visual on it, verify which apartment we're going to go back. I run to these ambulance guys and, and poor guys, you know, they're not paying any attention at all. I can't get their attention. One guy's got his headphones on the other guys over there watching his phone. Finally I get their attention. I'm like, man, are you guys here for us? Two young guys, one black, one white. And they're like, yeah. I, I remember I walked away and I went over to, to nobles i was like man i hope them guys ain't got to save our life because they just they ain't it they ain't it they're young <laughs> I mean, my kids are older than them oh and, man uh, i'm like man i don't i don't know let's just get in and get it be, let's get done with this thing and so you know we head over and uh when we pull up there's a car there that wasn't there like 15 minutes before when i got there and i'm like man so now i'm mad because the person on the eye didn't relay that i don't know if they missed it or if they tried to relay it we weren't listening i have no idea Anyway, that didn't get related to us. So I get on the road and go, man, where'd this car come from? Because it's parked right in front of our apartment, but in the parking lot, not in a parking space. So I knew somebody was just running in and out, but I'm thinking, now we've got an unknown. You know, did it go to our apartment? Where is it? So I get out and I clear that car. And as they're coming up the side, I meet them at the door, um, start knocking on the door on a normal knock. And about that time, or once, once they didn't answer, did that a couple of times, they didn't answer because we were hoping to be quiet, no neighbors involved get her to come out, cooperate. That was the goal because they said give her extra time to come to the door. She's a heavy set woman. Give her time to come to the door. Cool, no problem. We'll do that. So knock, 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 nothing. Knock, 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 nothing. So finally I was like, man, we got to get her attention somehow. So we started the police knock. The open hand, bang, oh, bang, yeah. bang on the door. Mag police light. search warrant. Police search warrant. Yelling. 
Well, that, that brought the guy outside from upstairs. And he started yelling down. You know, he engaged, Brett engaged him, said, get back in the apartment, get back in the apartment. What's going on? What are y'all doing? Leave her alone, all this stuff. So finally he goes back in. We keep knocking. At one point, Nobles, who's the, the guy on the ram, says, man, I think I hear something. Hold on. So I stop. We listen. We don't hear anything. I yell again, please search warrant. Come to the door. Please search warrant. We got come on out. They're not, they're not coming. Knock one more time. Yell, please search warrant. They didn't come. I look back. My lieutenant gives a nod. I said, here we go. Mike hits the door the first time, hit it right on the deadbolt, and it didn't barely move. And I remember somebody in the stack go, my girlfriend hits, or my daughter hits harder than that, something like that. We all kind of laughed. He hit it again. It almost knocked it open. I could see through the door into the living room. I said, here we go. He hit it. Door flies open from right to left. I'm on the left side of the door. He backs off on the right like he's supposed to with the ram. As I clear the right side of the room, I can see the living room. I can see the, the couch, the blinds. And then I get to the wall where I can no longer see anymore. So I had to step in the doorway. We, we weren't in the doorway yet. We're still everybody at this point. You know, please search warrant. Please search warrant. Lights are going. Whoever's inside had to know. You know, no, you guarantee. One hundred percent. So as soon as I stepped in the doorway, so I could see down the hall, I'm met by two figures overlapping, one taller than the other. Um, and so I figured, guy, growing my mind, but I couldn't really see him. It was just like a blob with two heads because they were they were one was in front of the other. Did you have your light on? Did. But by the time I got to them, when I circled from right to left, I came around, I stopped on him because I saw the barrel of his gun. And this is happening so quick anyway, because you know how yeah. when you're clearing a house, when you when you turn a corner, but your brain slows down. And it was like, oh, crap, this ain't right. And then, boom, the shot went off. And uh, as soon as he shot, I returned four shots. Uh, I knew I was hit instantly. I could feel it, uh, like a little sledgehammer hitting my leg or something. There wasn't a lot of pain, just I knew it was hit. Let it's, me ask you this real yeah. quick, bro. So, man – when you woke up that morning, did you feel anything like any kind of like premonition or warning? Because I know when I got blown up that day, like I woke up and like something was off in the atmosphere. Something wasn't right. No, not then. But had I paid attention to all the little signs from the time we left roll call, all the things that went wrong before we got there. You know, I forgot my extra mag pouch. I left my tourniquet in the car. Flat tires, rain. These guys weren't paying attention. And and obviously they weren't paying attention when we called for EMS too because it took them 10 minutes to get there from less than a half mile away. And uh, they we were never clarified on what went wrong, where that communication broke down. Um, but that was a blessing in, in hindsight because it gave time for the the firefighter paramedics to get there before we as we were pulling out. And they stopped and jumped in. And took over, and they were they were a blessing, man. They knew what they were doing. They got on it, and um, and that was great. Man, so when you got hit, like, what was the first thing that really goes through your mind? Like, holy crap! Like, nothing at first. Just training kicks in. You know, I, I, I put four rounds instantly down range as he dove out of the way. I got behind the door frame, stepped out of, of the line of fire like we're taught, came back around and put two in the door frame where he went behind. Um, unfortunately at some point in this and, and, you know, I wish we had photos to show people cause it's hard again to understand it unless you see it, her feet, she tried to follow him into the bedroom when he shot and ran, she ran with him and her feet were actually past the door, past the hallway line. And then she fell back cause she got hit running into the bullets and then fell back, uh, onto the floor. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, that's our biggest fear is cops shooting the wrong person yes. or an unarmed person or somebody didn't deserve it. And um, obviously, no matter what she was involved in, she didn't deserve that. No, she did not. So, um, so biggest fear realized there. Second biggest fear getting shot realized there. And then the third biggest fear when it's over being, you know, the enemy, public enemy number one. 
So when when I first got shot, though, once I went behind the door and returned those two shots, I reached down and grabbed my leg, and I felt instant my palm was full of blood. And I'd seen so many gunshots on the street where, especially legs are thrown through, a little bit of blood, yeah. but it's not much. You know, it's not that bad. And so I knew, I, and I yelled at the door, I said, man, I've been hit my femoral. And at that time, Miles had already stepped up and was going, and Mike was pinned in between uh, the staircase and the, and the other side of the door. Everybody else had, had bailed at that point. And everybody gets on Brett and says all this this junk about him being out of control and all this. He he was the third one coming up behind Miles. So as he's turning that corner to, to almost go in the door as we're turning, he sees a flash and hears me say I've been shot. So he can't get up there because Miles is in front of him. He can't shoot Miles in the back of the head. You know, yeah. I'm up there, Miles is up there. So he bails and goes around to the front. Well, as he's turning that corner, he's hearing Miles multiple shots go off in this in this uh, echo chamber that we're in with metal stairs, you know, it's all closed in. So it's just super loud. And miles is firing at such a rapid pace because he, he fired all 16 rounds in maybe four seconds. I mean, it was, everything was so quick. Oh, it happens fast. So man. quick. But as Brett's going around that corner, he's hearing that. And the last thing he saw was a flash inside. He's thinking me and miles are getting executed at the doorway. So he's like, in his mind, I got to do whatever I can to stop. That guy inside from shooting them. Killing my friends. And that's what he did. And, you know, everybody's like, man, aren't you mad at him because it caused more problems? I'm like, I can't be mad at him. Dude was trying to save my life. Exactly. He was putting his career, his freedom on the line. He's still, freedom's still on the line for it. So how could I be mad at this guy or upset? I'm thankful that he was willing to do that. And I just wish other people would see it that way. Because that's, that's one of the tragedies in this. Yeah, and that's the thing. People are never going to see it that way because this thing's been tainted by the media. Oh, so bad. So bad, so bad, man. And that's why I'm glad I'm having you. Because, man... I tell people this thing is so complicated. It is. Because, I mean, I, I listen to the book. I talk to people. And I always just had so many. Because I'm just like, there's so much information. so much to unpack here. It but is. at the end of the day, the lies always come to the surface. And, you know, with your book out, man, those lies are being exposed. But the thing is, a lot of people don't even know the truth because those lies have become the truth. That's what's the unfortunate part. Like the jail calls with Breonna Taylor. And Jamarcus, was it uh, Glover, correct? Yeah. You know, the jail calls, you know, Breeze holding the money, you know, the rental car with the dead body in it. You right. Know, like, we don't talk about that stuff, man. Or the fact she wasn't a decorated EMT. No. She was still on probation and got fired. Fired. Five months. Hadn't fired. been one since 2017. But God, but that's the picture they use. Yeah. Every. <laughs> every. So it, it, it's all slanted. And, and the, the saddest part about it all was the attorneys came out, uh, Crump and, and, and Aguiar and them and, laid out all these lies from the beginning that they were never held accountable for, saying we had the wrong apartment. She was asleep in bed. Uh, Glover, I mean, uh, yeah, Glover was already in custody. Um, what was another one? There's four big ones that, that came out, and I'm like, all those are straight-up lies, and they're so easily refutable. Oh, we didn't knock and announce. They said that. Yeah. So I'm like, all these are so easily refutable because there's paperwork documenting it all. A witness says we did that was right there that we argued with. Um, the warrant shows her name, her address on it. That's easy to refute. show that so people don't think we have the right house. She died in the hallway, so how was she asleep in bed when we shot her? You know, all these things that you're – Glover, look at the time of arrest. All this was simultaneous. He was not in custody for 10 hours like they're saying before. No. Um, and the, the, but the most frustrating thing was we begged the police department to put, a, put the truth out. We're like, it, you don't have to hurt the investigation. You know, you don't have to muddy the waters. Just put the fight back a little bit. And they were like, oh, we can't set precedent for future cases. 
That was the answer we got. We cannot set precedent. And that for was well, that cases. was my question. Like, what did the police department, LMPD, have to gain by letting these lies take hold? They didn't. It all goes back to what we talked about earlier with that Explorer stuff. You had the mayor and the chief who had each other bent over because they had covered up all this stuff with the Explorer stuff. And now the mayor's running this police department. Chief has, yeah. he was a lame duck. We know that. Yeah, he man. did whatever Ellen Heston told him to do <coughs> and whatever Greg Fisher told him to do. So when, when they instantly jumped on, he didn't want to expose his gentrification. And then they had already backed up Brianna Taylor. Him, when, when your mayor comes out and goes, we've got to get justice for Brianna Taylor. And if I could fire these officers, I would. That tells you what side he's on. Yeah. And so when he put a gag order basically on the department, that flowed down to us. We couldn't talk about it. So sitting back so frustrated for over a year, sitting, listening to all these lies come out over and over and over. So I understand why the public would go, well, they must be guilty. All these lies, all these statements are coming out and as a fact. Saying anything. Nobody's fighting back against it. He paid the family $12 million before the criminal <clears throat> stuff was even settled. Man, they must be guilty. They must have done something wrong. So, I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, I understand why people are mad. I get yes. it. If I weren't involved in it, I would understand that too. You know, I, I might feel that way as well because everything pointed to that. But it was only pointed to that because the truth wasn't allowed to be, be exposed. And so that, that was the biggest angst I had during all this. And, and then so you get shot in the line of duty and – then it's like the department turns its back on you. Like you had been there how many years at the time you had been shot? Uh, almost 20. Almost 20, man. I can't imagine. Like, what does that feel like? You know, you take a bullet for this department. You're not the only one recently. There's been officers recently that have taken a bullet for this department in this place, threw them under the bus and hung them out to dry, man. Like, because I'm sure in your mind, you've been at LMPD for so many years. You probably love the place. Oh, yeah. It wasn't perfect, man. But you didn't, ex I'm sure you didn't expect the department to just kind of hang you out to dry. No, you you know, you see on TV when somebody gets shot, and then when they're leaving the hospital, there's like a line of people. Yeah. No, nah, it's me and my wife and two of the guys I worked with, um, which is fine. I don't need the fanfare. But that kind of showed you right there the direction this was going, that, hey, we're not really going to have your back on this. We're not publicly going to come out and say, this is our guy. You know, he was doing the right thing. We had 110,000 overdose from drugs last year of deaths and that's not including the millions of families affected by the people who didn't overdose so this epidemic of drugs is out here he was out here fighting that doing what we asked him to do what the mayor specifically wanted done on this case or he wouldn't have had his person in that office every week pushing it so we're where you oh. told us to be what i talked about earlier where you told us to be how you wanted us to do it we did it things went sideways and now oh just go away we don't you're the bad guy go away not us not us that put you there you're the bad guy. Everybody's got to pass the buck, man. Yeah. Got to pass the liability football, man. Yeah. So that, that was disheartening because you thought, okay, there might be some, but we're going to have some support. You know, my, my boss at the time stood up for us and she got demoted. You know, they screwed her over. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, the silence is what was deafening, man, because I talked to the chief came in my hospital room the next day. This is Conrad, right? Yeah. And he and I talked for like an hour and a half. I told him the entire story from start to finish. Like I tell people all the time. He was all, oh, yeah, I'm sorry it happened to you, all this stuff. Then he goes around, goes out, radio silence. Never heard from him again. Um, I heard from Car 2 one more time, and that was it from the command staff. Never heard from anybody. Then you Still haven't. Yeah, then you reached out to uh, the, the councilman David James, correct? Yep. I reached out to him because he was – 
He taught us how to do these warrants. I know he man, old school narc. He's the one that he's in the classes I took. He was the trainer. He was my trainer in the academy. There's some stuff he told us that if he said it now, for instance, he said if anybody goes after your gun, give it to them. And what he meant by that, what he taught us was bang, bang. shoot them. If they reach for it, shoot them. Would he say that now as no. a city council member? No. I mean, he won't even want to let people do traffic stops now. No. You know, he's against all that it's stuff. It's so bizarre, man. Well, it was weird because when I came back, you know, I was in Arizona when this happened, you know, and I was like, I'm going back home. I remember watching him during the initial thing of the riots, and he was on TV. This is after he got started getting involved in politics. He's like, well, they're going to have to arrest me tonight. I was like, what? Yeah. Like a retired cop? Bro. <laughs> what? Yeah, he's he, he went off the me tracks. But For politics. Yeah. yeah. So I sent him, thought, well, maybe this is still a friend that, that has some pull. Black guy, president of city council, you know, got some respect in the city. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I thought, man, I'll send him. So I sent him text of, this is what they're saying. This is the truth. How can we get this out? His response was, I'll have a press conference next week and get the truth out because the mayor's a coward. Cool. I still got those texts. Cool, great. And so other stuff was said in a positive note, or so I thought was positive. All the stuff he said he was going to do, he didn't do. And... Then I catch him on, on the air basically bashing us, talking about no-knock warrants and how yeah. we did it wrong. And I'm like, so I started texting right in the middle of this live broadcast going, you're a coward. What is wrong with you? You know it wasn't a no-knock. Why are you saying Brianna's Law and all this stuff? Why is it even in her name as a city council? Why did y'all put it in her name if we didn't even do a no-knock? That doesn't make any sense. And uh, he was like, well, I can't put the information out um, – since it came from you or it would put you in a bad light. I'm like, like I'm not already in a bad light. I just want the truth out. I don't care what people think about me. Put the truth out for the sake of the city. Cause I told him, I said, the city's going to burn if you don't get it out. And this was pre, pre this was two yeah. weeks before the riots even started. And I'm like, the city's going to burn if you don't get the truth out. Never got it out. You know, and it was just a man. Talk about the timing, bro. With George Floyd uh, happening, right? Ahmaud it was Aubrey, just, Ahmaud, yeah, all everything. this, at this it it's all converged. They say it happens in threes, but it literally all happened at one time. And I remember sitting in Arizona watching the first day of protest thinking, man, I, I know Louisville. Louisville's not going to get to that point. I thought the same thing. Because I mean, I remember when we had uh, protests in 2016. The November, white, uh, the three percenters, yeah, and, uh, whoever, Antifa. Yeah, yeah bro. That, I also remember like, uh, I forgot what it was. In, I think it was the, uh, the immigration thing they were having downtown. Remember? Yeah, yeah they took I was over. up on the roof of yeah, the, the federal building. Yeah. yeah, bro, and like, and I just remember people marching and walking, and people would go protest, and they see the cops. Hey, thanks for being out here, guys, and everybody go about our way. That was Louisville, right? And I was like, "There's no way they're gonna burn down the city, man. They're just not. That's not Louisville." Next, you know, I see somebody throw a rock through the DAP window. I'm like, "Oh my god!" Next, you know, like fireballs and people, and I was just like, "Oh my god, it's happening, man!" And yeah. I, and I was just in awe. And what were you? What were you doing when protests took hold? The first night. So I was sitting in bed watching them live on the news. And I remember sitting there in sweat just coming down my armpits. And it wasn't fear for me because I was safe. You know, I felt so bad for all the guys on the, out there. Because, number one, Louisville never been through this like we just said. No. We've had some testy stuff, but not like this. This is a different – this a whole takes different it to a le new level. And so I'm sitting there worried about them guys. Um, I'm feeling a little bit guilty because I'm thinking, man, if we just done one or two things different – this wouldn't even be a thing, you know. So I felt bad. I was scared for them. But then I was mad at the same time because at this point I'd already started getting threats. My family had uh, phone calls. Um, the rumors were going around from 
the motorcycle club that Brianna mm-hmm. Taylor's mom was involved in, No Haters, uh, and Straight Riders. And the – so the the alerts were already up, right? The the caution was already up. It was, it was put out there a couple different times. And then a couple of days later on May 31st, it was a Sunday night, I get a call going, hey – um, we had another informant come in and these threats are corroborated by the FBI and they, t- they think you need to get out of your house because Brown's birthday was coming up in June 5th, I think, or 7th, mm-hmm. Sometime around June 5th, there. I think. And they said they, they're doing a balloon release, b- balloon release, and they want to have something to celebrate, meaning either you or one of the guys involved or family members dead. And there's been a hit put out on you. I'm like, Oh, great, man. It's like the movies. You know, this is yeah. really happening. I still have your wanna poster from uh, BLM and Antifa, oh, do you? bro. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I still got that. I picked up so much uh, memorabilia from the streets and the protests, bro. I was like, yeah, it's that's nice. going to be worth something right there. It's nice. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> so we scramble to get out. You know, one of the funny things is, and, and this just shows you the ignorance of the people that were running our department at the time. And, you know, I was friends with some of them, but there was a lot of ignorance going on. Yeah. And so... I called my boss and I said, um, "Hey, we just can code by the FBI. We got to get out. We got somewhere. To, we got to go somewhere. I don't have anywhere to go. You know, we're cops. We're broke. We ain't no money. We don't have mm-hmm. these houses in other states and all this stuff." I'm like, what should I do? She said, "I'll call you back." She calls me back. She said, um, "Now you know what downtown was like at this point, right? Thousands and thousands of people down there, crazy." And 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 I was told. Uh, the department said they put you in the gold house for a couple of weeks because because they have <laughs> the a <laughs> because they have a uh, contract with them, and I'm like, no thanks, I'll find my own. Like, Appreciate bro, it. Like yeah, like that's the oh my god. Yeah, that's your answer. That's if y'all don't know the gold house is literally so the protest was taking place at six in Jefferson and all throughout downtown. The gold house is at like fourth and Main, which is like two and a half two blocks. blocks over and then like three blocks down, bro. Literally yeah. in the heart of the city. Yeah. That's LMPD leadership. At that That's time, it, man. Like, it's, it's so <laughs> short-sighted. They could, you know, none of these people ever played chess, obviously. Clearly not, man. And so I was like, screw this. I called around, found a buddy who had a place a couple hours away. We went there. Um, we ended up moving six times in a year and a half, bouncing yeah. around place to place. Uh, never came back to our house. Ended up selling it. Uh, we'd only lived there five weeks. So, uh, you know, took a beating on that. And, man. Um, so it was just an interesting time, man. It was it was very bizarre. And the worst thing was during that was, you know, as cops, we're used to protecting people. That's what we do. And now I've got family spread out that I can't protect because mm-hmm. I'm away from them. They had people going by their houses, taking photos, doing all these different things, pulling their trash, weird stuff, stuff cops would do. You know, if somebody's looking for them. And uh, so that was very uneasy. Uh, kids had to move, a couple of them. And so it was, it was a time, it was a trying time. But then during that, you know, you think, okay, well, the FBI has got the case. They've got the most resources. They're probably the best at doing this kind of stuff. You would think. You would think. And uh, less than 10 days or 10 days later, they end up dropping the case saying the, uh, the optics look bad going after a, a national victim's mother because she's the one that took the hit out on us. Man. So amazing. Yeah. Supposed to be taking yeah. care of their own. And you know, the FBI never called me. They never talked to me about that. That's what you said in the book. I they was didn't like, do not one thing. It had to be funneled through some LMPD, and then they ended up firing that guy from the FBI because they thought he was giving too much info, and he wasn't. 
I'll, I'll be honest. Was he that the, the uh, LMPD FBI guy? Yeah. Yeah. I talked to him. I, dude, I was so, because he was, he was there forever. Yeah. A good dude. Yeah. Good dude. And, they, and from day one, here was our conversation. Hey, if there's anything funny, let me know. If not, I don't want to know anything about the case because I don't want to jeopardize it because I want that person to go to prison. And if I'm involved, it'll look bad. And I don't want, I don't want the optics to look bad on us. And, um, and because he did that, he didn't, he fed me zero information. He was ethically, he was, he was right there. Perfect. And, uh, the only thing he called and said, man, something's up like day four called and said, something's fishy. Something's going on. Um, the, the, the leaders here at the FBI, they're poking their nose in. They never do that. They're making statements. And a couple of days later, he questioned one of them. They blocked him from that floor, wouldn't allow him to be around the mm. investigation. And then like four days after that, it was completely done. Politics, man. Politics. And this is what I tell people, I hate politics because of this. Because when you do the political thing and not the right thing, you're going to hurt people. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, doing the right thing, people might still get hurt. But I'd rather get hurt by the truth than by the lies that continue to spread, man. Yeah. And for you, so I'm going to ask this. I'm guessing you're not going to the Beyonce tour that she's got currently going on, right? Well, you know, I thought about it. Uh, <laughs> I was hoping she'd call me on stage. And <laughs> Yo, that's when I knew. I was like, man, when I heard Beyonce yeah. started talking about you and then all these celebrities. And, I mean, the was it the president, wasn't it? Was it uh, Biden? Biden. Biden did it in his uh, um, their little the, – what do they do when they're arguing? <laughs> what are oh, the, the, debate. the debate. Yeah. yeah. Then Kamala said – said several things that, you know, we were at the wrong place. And then LeBron James getting on there going, oh, say, they had the wrong place and they do what <laughs> cops always do. They just go in and start shooting. I'm like, man, you watch too much TV, man. This cops well, don't just kick doors down and go and start shooting people. There's always a reason why we're at a certain place, man. Yeah. But the thing I was like, how would like, I can't imagine what it's like to know to have the president of the United States or Beyonce call you out by name yeah, on fun. a national stage, man. And then the, the 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 crazy thing for me is people start labeling you and calling you a racist. Yeah, I was like, what a race? Like, come on, man! Like, that's a stretch. Like, this man's got like mixed grandchildren, bro. Yeah, right? like, yeah and the funny thing is, I'll tell people all the time, like, man, I get it. There's bias, cops. You oh, know, of course, both white and black. Because I there was a guy on LMPD that he started LPD LMPD. He retired probably six seven years ago, and he's black. And he was friends with one of my friends who's black that were real tight. And my buddy told me one of the statements he would always make is before I retire, I hope I get to shoot a white person. That was, <laughs> and I'm going, I've never said before I retire, I want to shoot a black person. It's ridiculous. Matter of fact, after, after the Michael Brown thing, oh, all God. white cops went, Man, I don't want to shoot a black no, person. Please, God, no, help bro. me not to shoot a black person. That's how the Ferguson effect is real, man. It's for real. It, it dude, changed a lot and, of things what, in policing. Yes, and as soon as that happened, officers stopped being so proactive. And guess what? Crime rates have been on a steady yes. increase 100%. over the years, man. So when Conrad came in in 2012, it was good, steady, steady, steady. Ferguson happens, man, then all this stuff starts happening, bro. And, I mean, I remember when I started. I mean, when you started in 2000, Louisville would have maybe – 30, 40, 50 homicides a year. Yeah. Yo, and that was like, oh my God, that's horrible. The highest up until then was 63, and that was in the 90s. 90s, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, now we're at 180. 90s, 120, 100. I thought I'm surprised we didn't hit 200 last yeah. year, man. And it's just like, it's a different city. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and the so weird thing was, Conrad was like, you know, I want to make this America's safest city. And I'm like, bro, this is not how you do it. Well, you know what happened? We became the flagship for Obama's 21st yes. century policing. I talked about that in my that last podcast. That changed our department. 
changed it. I'm telling you, from from the feeling on the street, the stuff that was getting pushed down, it changed who we were. Yep, and the proactivity really stopped and dropped off, man. Yeah. And well, that's why with the new DOJ thing, bro, I'm like, man, this is gonna hurt the black and brown citizens a little bit more mm-hmm. because unfortunately, you know, one thing I was talking about in the last podcast was how they're taking these numbers from this DOJ thing and showing there's disproportionate amount of work, you know, police work being done in the black community. And I was like, what you're not allowed to say is that there is more crime in the black community, but because the black community has been marginalized for so many years right. and because it's economically depressed, there's going to be more crime. And so what are you going to do? Am I going to put a violent crime task force out in the East end where there's like maybe one, two homicides a year. And those so are mostly Starbucks all day. That'd be kind of cool. You know, <laughs> I, I would take I'd it. be down, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was like when when uh, Chief Shields came in, you know, she started harping on Breonna Taylor. Don't get me on her. Oh, bro, I'm, I'm not a fan, man. I, I was at first. She basically called us white supremacists in her she very first press conference. She literally called us white supremacists, bro. And I'm going, you got to be kidding and me. And then what does she do after that? Puts together a violent crime task force that targets where? Black people. Black, black people, the black community. Yeah. Because that's where the crime's at. And that's where common sense is like, well. Yeah, people are scared to say, hey, our, our largest call of service especially on violence, is in the black community. If you listen to a scanner or uh, the, the PD every night, you're going to hear it. Copy black 35 male, black Broadway, male, black, black, male, male. Black, black male. Black male, black male. It's not, not like guys are going, hey, let's go harass black people. Never heard it, bro. No, Never heard either. it. But people would honestly believe that that it's like a sport at roll call. Like, man, how many niggas you going to shoot today, Dad? Well, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> can, I get my, can I get my deer tags, please? <laughs> you know, I'm going to string up about three of them today. You know, I, that doesn't happen, man. No. It does not happen. And Maybe in some hillbilly backwoods, oh, eastern I Kentucky, I, it, but not here. Yes, and that, it's not a thing. And I tell people, man, are there cops on this department that are racist? 100%. Of course. We would be fools to believe that there's right. not because cops are people. People have issues and Lord knows, bro, but that's not the norm of LMPD officers. So that's why I was so upset with the DOJ report. Oh, like, man, they, they talk like it's the fabric of the department. That's what they try to make it seem, but it's, it's unreal. And now we're like, when I saw the interview last week with uh, the new mayor and a uh, new interim chief, where they're like, we're going to get the racism out of LMPD. And I'm like, the racism out of LMPD explain. Yeah. But, but what they're looking at is the numbers. And I understand why the numbers look bad, but that people are just taking this at a facial value and be like, well, there's you know, there's more black people stopped. I'm like, well, maybe there's a chance that more black people are committing crimes disproportionately. Yeah, let, let's let's break down the homicide numbers. You could so, just yeah. go right there. I know in 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 2020, I think is when we hit the 182 or whatever yeah. it was. Um, I had them broke down somewhere, but like 70, 71 percent were black. Mm-hmm. So and committed by black people. Yeah. So I'm going, okay, well, 71 percent of 180 something is probably what 130. Something like that, homicides committed by black people on black people, black on black crime. So why would we not? Why would we shun them and not take care of them? Because again, as a white guy, I'm so racist. I'm going to leave my nice home, go to an area of people that hate me, and it's not all people. That's the thing. It's just you, people. Eighty? No, I'm saying eighty percent of the people in the West End, good people, man, like you. Yes, they want you there, but you got the loud twenty percent that because they're committing crimes or because they've been so brainwashed with this foolishness that, that cops hate black people. So you go down there, and who are we protecting? Some of the citizens, but mostly we're protecting gangbangers against gangbangers. When we get calls of shootings, that's what's happening. You know, there's there's not a whole lot of random innocent victims. No. There's just not. Very, very, very. It's all street justice for the most part. Right. Though. Or you disrespecting me online or something stupid. But I can't tell you how many times I had my hands in somebody in somebody's 
holding their body, telling them, hang on, man, we got you, we got you, while we don't know if the shooter's still around. So I'm willing to risk my life as a white dude to save a black guy because I'm so racist. It makes no sense. Until it really got me when I came back when there were people I used to go, I went to church with for years, yo, that all of a sudden seeing me on the live streams during these protests, like, that's Dexter Pitts. He lives here, such and such. And, you know, he's such a traitor and all this. And I'm like, I mean, I remember I sent one of them a message like, what did I ever do to you? And nobody could tell me anything. It was just everybody wants to be part of the mob. But there's a picture. There's a photo on my uh, on my Instagram page. I used to work at the clubs downtown all the time. And this one dude, I can't even remember his name. That's how unimportant he is. But he was a security guard. We was always cool. The next thing you know, I'm sitting here at the protest, uh, the uh, big clash we had on uh, Bargetown Road. I was fuck you, Pitts. Fuck you. I'm like, how does my know my name? And I just left, oh, that's old boy from the club. And he's just yelling and cursing at me. And I'm like, he's got his face covered. And then we, uh, about, about, I guess about eight months ago, I get a call to this tow lot. I didn't know he had a tow lot. He's like, hey, what's up, man? I was like, hey. So what was up with that about a year ago, man, on Barstown Road? What you talking about? Yeah. And I, I remember I had the picture. I showed him, like, I know that's you. Like, what What did I do to you? Man, you know, man. You know, just try to play it off, bro. Yeah. That's the most disgusting thing, man. Did you have any of your own family that kind of turned on you at Not all? Family, Not family, but like like there's a there's a guy who's a, a pastor in, in the West End, a black church, black guy I grew up with, played ball with, love his family. Still get, his other, the rest of his family still cool with me. I mean, I've known them since since I have memories. You know, they were in our church coming up, all that stuff. And uh, and he was a good ball player in high school and we played ball all the time and now he's a pastor. And he started putting stuff online about all this, all the lies. And and I reached out to him. I was like, hey, dude, you're a pastor. Your job is to tell the truth and to get your flock going in the right direction. I said, we need to sit and have a talk because you've been misinformed on all this stuff. You know, I've known you my entire life. You've known me. You know I'm not racist. You know my family. You know everything about me. I said, let's sit down and have a talk. And, and so at least you can put give, the, num- the truth yeah, out. Yeah, you can put the truth out to your people. They deserve it. No, nothing. Ghosted. I'm going to do an impression of this pastor and tell me if this is him. Hey, hey, how you doing, Officer Pitts? How you doing? How you doing now? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, uh, Major Crucifix. Uh, can I come talk to you real quick for a second, Major Crucifix? No, it's not, it's not that way. Not that way? No, he's a calm, <laughs> level-headed, comes from a great family. Again, I love him. And I was just so – that's what made it so disappointing. He wasn't your typical, I'm going to come out here, get a lot of money in my pocket as, yeah. being, a, as being a reverend. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Go to the boat, get your side women, all that stuff they do. We know them. Oh, we all know and, them, um, You know, they're not really for Jesus. Let's <laughs> for just put it that way, yeah. As a, a, our, uh, my old partner, D.D. Mangadog, R.I.P., rest her soul, she used to say, yeah, that's that one pastor. You got to suck his pee-pee to get into heaven. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> See, so- <laughs> Before I got in the police department, I was the manager, I was assistant manager first in Broadway uh, at the Thorntons. Were you, were you really? Oh, yeah. Oh my! Has it always been? Oh yeah, it's always been a oh, dump hole. Oh my god! Hole, man. I didn't. Man, you really uh, are hood. But it was a, it was a cracker. <laughs> yeah. It was a cracker box at first, and they expanded it some, and then they tore it down and built what it is now. But uh, but yeah, man, it was it was nonstop issues in there, you know, like like it is now. But one of the guys that worked for me was a reverend, and uh, he used to tell me tell me, hey, hey, Johnny, yeah, he called me Johnny, yeah, man. Went to the boat, got that offering. Went to the boat the other day. Talking about always taking the money from the offering, all that stuff, going gambling. I'm going, dude, oh, his name man. is Leonard. I'm like, Leonard, dude. I Call him a, out. I'm like, I grew up in a church, and that's not how it's supposed it's, to go, man. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> but yeah. I'm not surprised. You yeah. are full of surprises. First in Broadway. Oh, yeah. That place has been the bane of my existence for it the was, last eight years. Nothing dude. has changed nothing in 25 has changed. years. <laughs> 
God, 25 man. years same. <laughs> man, so at what point did you decide that you're going to write a book about this whole thing? Well, when you can't talk and you're built up all this, this frustration, um, I thought, well, man, I'm going to put it on paper just in case. Because, uh, you know, it's my story. And, and I get this all the time online. People, oh, you're, you're profiting off killing a black woman. How dare you? And I'm like, no, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what I've lost financially, peace of mind wise, house, not near my family now. I had to move. Yeah, I said, I'm telling my story. This is not Breonna Taylor's story. This is, you know, 12 seconds in the dark is my story. It talks about my police career, what I went through, all the trials afterwards, all the lies, all the, all the mud we were drugged through. I said, that's what that's about. And if I make a little money off that to support my family, it still isn't going to bring me up to what I was making when I was in the police department no. compared to when I left uh, or what I could be making now, what we talked about earlier with all the raises and stuff. <laughs> I said, so, you know, you got it twisted to think I'm out here living the high life of doing it. But the whole reason for it was just simply to try to get the truth out. Because I know you're, I'm nobody. I don't have an audience. I'm not. I'm not in tune with Fox News or CNN or any of those people. So, I knew I'd be very limited to what I could get out and what people would listen to. And I was hoping just with this, at least it's in print. It's out. Even if somebody picks up five years from now, if somebody shuffling and you go, oh man, I was fooled by that. You know, just to try to get the truth out. That's what it was about. And how hard was it for you to write? And how long did it take you? It didn't take me long because, again, it was my story. It was kind of like sitting down writing a police report. Yeah. You know, it was a dark, stormy night, and, and there you go. <laughs> and uh, so it didn't take long to write, and I'm, I'm far from a uh, – I don't even like to read. So I'm far from a, a, you know, a good writer. I just wrote it like a cop would talk and makes it easy so people can understand it, and and that's what it was. Maybe maybe a month off and on. I didn't work on it a every month? day. Yeah. Man, it took me seven years, bro. Yeah. That's, well, you got a lot of, you got a lot of stuff in yours. Yours is a little different. You're yeah. just kind of like a biography or autobiography of your life. It's like the black forest gump. Yeah, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm just talking about an incident. <laughs> I'm talking about a little bit sliver of my life with some extra stuff added in, but bro, I'm sure you could have thrown some stories from first and Broadway. At there, oh, bro, I could have thrown a lot in there <laughs> for growing up in Portland. <laughs> yeah. If I had to do over again, I would add more police stuff, more things about my life, but you know, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's oh, yeah. easy it, it, read. It's, it's definitely a good I read it. I uh, listened to the audio book on the plane. And I will tell you, the guy who read it, he was pronouncing Shively wrong. Uh, he, I heard he Shively. pronounced a few things wrong. Shively. I was like, <laughs> like, clearly this ain't John reading it, man. Yeah. And again, if I had to do over, I would demand I'd read it. it because it's always Because better. I know what I wanted emphasized and what was just kind of, you know, filler or fluff yeah. or whatever you want to call it. So you initially, when you went to go get the book published, how did you find a publisher initially well so like i do everything in life i youtubed <laughs> i did and i and I, I saw these uh they're talking about you have to pitch it you know and it's basically you're writing a term paper mm-hmm. pitching somebody to do it so i watched a couple of videos on that and i sat in my recliner one night and typed out this i don't know 10 page uh thing of of pros and cons and who i thought would like it and the genre and all that stuff and and pitched it and sent it to uh, this somewhat conservative publisher in Nashville. He responded fairly quick. Uh, we talked back and forth a little bit. They wanted it and went from there. It's the only one I reached out to. But then um, to get pictures that you want to use for the book, like say USA Today took a picture down there, you have to pay for those. Yeah. So I got online and I had to buy copyright some pictures. And when you do that, you've got to put the author's real name, title of the book, what it's about, a, a small thing before they'll approve it. Well, because USA Today's Gannett, Courier Journal's a Gannett paper, 
instead of them just doing that and giving me permission, they gave me permission. I paid the money. And then the next day, the Courier Journal wrote a story about it mm. because they called them and go, hey, this dude's writing a story, you know. And um, unfortunately, there was no end around, at least on my end. Um, had the publisher maybe thought it through more, they would have said, hold off or till it's ready to roll. We'll have it printed. Then we'll get the permission. Boom, put it out. Uh, so there was a big stink, and um, Simon and Schuster canceled it because they were like, "Oh, we don't controversy." Yeah, controversy, and and so we had to go other routes. And finally, I went through Daily Wire and, and got them to do it. Now, how was that process for you? Was that pretty straightforward? Which, which part? Uh, just getting in touch with them and ha- going through the process with them to get the book published. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Um, maybe I was just lucky. I don't know. Um, but it was such a hot topic at the time. I think that helped. You know, it wasn't just a random book. I'm throwing it somewhere. They go, eh, there's not really interest in that. You know, all this stuff was going on at the time. And because of the delay, it was supposed to go out like six months earlier, which would have helped because things were still kind of hot yeah, and all boring. that. Yeah. And, um, but because of the delay, it got pushed back. So that kind of hurt us a little bit, but um, it wasn't too bad, honestly. Yeah, man. That's one of the things I tell people. So you sitting down and actually writing, I forgot what type of letter it's called to the publisher that had yeah I can't yeah, but I was like man I am not doing all that to writing this book I don't want to think anymore you know and I yeah. just kind of went the self-publishing route you know looking back I, I kind of wish I'd have done that <clears throat> yeah you know I've talked to some people since and and just for the just for the value because I don't make a lot off this book people think you're gonna get rich yeah, off books you, you ain't getting rich off not get rid of no, rich no, off no books no not unless you're a big name that gets those you know million five million yeah, ten Tom million dollars yeah yeah it's not happening yeah. um but you know Every little bit helps. So, man, well, I'm definitely glad you put the book out. And the one thing I really appreciated about appreciated about your book was, man, you filled in a lot of blanks for me for my book that I didn't put in my book, but because it was just so much going on during 2020. Yeah. You know, you put in the incidents at the Jefferson Square Park in Justice Park. Yeah, <laughs> you put that about the uh, multiple shootings we had down there, and I like I'm sitting there writing or writing my book, and I completely forgot about that. And oh. I was listening to your book, and I was like, oh, yeah. Well, there's stuff I forgot that I've heard since. I'm like, oh, man, I wish I had to put that in. Yeah, you know man. how it is. I forgot about, like, it was like two homicides. The, the, yeah. the crazy Hispanic dude or mixed dude went down there with the gun that day and just started shooting people, man. And Yeah, I've got that on video still. Oh, you do? Oh, oh yeah. man. Yeah, but that was, it was a wild time. And then Tyler man. Girth. At- Tyler Girth, yeah. yeah. Dude, man, now it's been, it's been a freaking. And again, okay, so who's who who's that on? Because. Tyler Girth went down there. They had nothing to do with the West End or the black community as a photographer slash mm-hmm. uh, somebody who wanted to make a difference, right? Mm-hmm. Did it with the right heart, with the right attitude, thinking he's going to do something different uh, or make a difference. But would he have been down there if the truth had been put out from the beginning? Would he have lost his life Man, if, it's a good way to think if about they it. weren't down there? Because, sure, there was to been controversy, but I guarantee you had the truth been put out from the beginning and combated this, it would have been a fraction of what we saw. Um, because it just wouldn't have got the traction. And the thing is, it made I feel like it made a lot of the activists more bolder, bro. So anytime there's an incident, I tell people it's never going to go away now. It's going to be laying dormant. Yeah. I remember we had the young black kid in Louisville last year that was running from the police during a police chase, crashed, and then shot and killed himself. But they were ready to burn down the city again. Oh, yeah. And what the police department had to do was pull the family in, show them body camera footage, because other than that, if not, we were going to release it to the public. And that is what the police department should have been doing all along. Yeah. They should have been proactive Proactive. because proactive and transparent because Fisher would always talk about all transparent. He was the least transparent mayor we've ever had. He was so corrupt. So corrupt. Yeah. And ask, ask who made all the money in Nulu on those contracts. 
all his friends. Esku was set up to make all the money on Elliot, his friends. So it's a big circle jerk going on with the money in his in his people. And hopefully one day it'll get exposed. I'm not going to hold my breath, but, um, but yeah, it's it's sad that this is the environment we're in. Has this all this changed kind of your outlook on like policing and just politics in general? There, well, yeah, because you know things, but then once you're in the middle of it, it's kind of like the curtain gets pulled back on Oz, and you go, "Oh my goodness, I knew it was bad, but this is real bad." <clears throat> and once once I saw all the corruption from FBI, from our city leaders, um, from the DOJ, and you see it unfolding in front of you, and there's nothing you can do because you're just a peon in the system, and then you go, "Man, I see why people." <clears throat> get ticked off and become anarchist. I mean, you can almost understand why people get mad at the government. It can almost make you understand the further you're out of policing, the more you look back and go, hmm, I can kind of see why these people are mad about this or that yeah. or why the police the police are doing this wrong. Or, you know, I get it. And and so I can see it from both sides now a little clearer. And because when you're in the middle of it, you know, you can't see the forest for the trees. You're biased. Yeah, you are. I'm, I tell 100% people, biased. I'm biased, you know, 100%. but I, I do my best to try to be open and honest and realize that it ain't always been sweet and that the police department ain't always been perfect. Right. You know, LMPD has clearly shown that with, I mean, scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal. Right. And it, at a certain point, you got to be like, man, like what we <laughs> like, how do I defend everything going on? And you really well, you can't. don't have to. You, you shouldn't have to. Number one, it's not your job to defend everything. And, and some things are indefensible. And you go. Made your bed, dude. Sorry, I like you, but this this is you. This is on you. Nobody else. Um, like I know, I had I've had a couple of cops reach out to me online, going, "Oh, you you've made it harder for all of us. You what? You violated these persons' most intimate, you know, Fourth Amendment in their house and all that." I'm like, "Dude, you ain't got a clue what you're talking about. Just quit. You know, let's go back to making TikToks, yeah, bro. If you'd like to come meet me, we can talk about this in whatever manner you'd like, but." uh has anybody took you up on that oh, off? Heck no. Of course not, bro. Of no. course not. <laughs> no. A bunch of cowards behind keyboards is all they are. Yeah, man. So are y'all still kind of laying low and all? Yeah. Still getting threats, man? Yeah, I don't come to Louisville very often. Um, if, even if it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't come to Louisville often, bro. Let's be honest. I, I love go to Louisville, Louisville, man. I hate it. I love Louisville. I love what Louisville used to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not now, dude. I, like I said, I moved out of here, man. I'm undisclosed location far away from the chaos. Only reason I go to Louisville is to work, bro. Yeah, and the sad thing is, you know, I, I kind of figured with Greenberg nothing was going to change. And then, you know, the whole David James, I've got cancer, I'm getting out. Mm, yeah. No, nah, there was more to that. Did you have hope for Greenberg? I did. I always have hope for something new. But unfortunately, what we've seen, like like when Robert White left, we were all like, yes, new. I tried oh, then to, I by tried the to end, tell going, people. Well, can we get Robert White back, I tried please? to tell people. <laughs> I was like, yo, I, man, Chief White, a lot of people did not like him. I love that man. I was like, yo, he let you be the police and do your job. And at least you knew where you stood. You knew where you, knew you stood. Where, you knew when he was going to cut your head off. You know, so it, it, while I had hope, it was very tamed hope. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to be let down. Yeah. And naturally, like the other day, he put out uh, since the murder of Breonna Taylor or whatever, blah blah blah. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But yeah. these politicians can say whatever they want, and they've got immunity. You can't sue them. Nope. And uh, they know that, and so they just they lie. They they do whatever they want. Yeah, man, and it's it's a never-ending story, and that's always going to be politics in America, bro. And that's why everybody's like, man, well, how come you don't you know, get involved in politics? I'm like, hell no. <laughs> like, you roll around in the dirt with pigs, bro, you're going to get dirty. And I and I hate to say, 
I hate to group people out as and then they're all like this, but honestly, most, most politicians, yeah. the very few politicians I've ever met where I'm like, I trust this guy 100%. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people, man, that, that it's a struggle for power. And, man, when people want power, they'll do anything to get it. And absolute power corrupts, man. And we have, that has been the story time and time again. And that's why I kind of wish we would, uh, I told people that it's, it's kind of crazy, but I wouldn't mind if we did dissolve the police department and we just went to straight sheriff's park. I think sheriffs are great. You we, know, I, they're I always, elected by the people. I was always like, oh, no, I'm a city cop. You know, oh, we, yeah. do, we do the work of God, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. And then uh, since then, I've said that many times. I'm like, man, because unfortunately, whether it's a right wing or a left wing or whoever's the mayor is, they pull their man in and they're beholden to them mm-hmm. instead of beholden to the people. And so then you've got like Conrad, whatever, whatever the mayor's office said, that's what he did. Whether he agreed or not, he tucked his tail and did it. And these sheriffs can stand up and go, screw you. I'm not if, doing it. If you want me out, elect me out. And most of the time they're doing it for the people and the people see that. So they're like, okay, I may not agree with him a hundred percent, but if his real goal is to protect me and my family, I'm for him. You see, you know, that's the thing that got me about Conrad. Cause I didn't know him personally, but I remember I was at my uh, friend's funeral, Cameron Ponder, that got shot and killed mm-hmm. in the line of duty. And he came to me and was like, Dexter, how you doing? Like, super personable, super nice dude. Yes. And I was like, man, this guy, he's really nice. And I tell people, great person, horrible leader. Yes. And I, it's okay. I liked him as a person talking to him. Yeah, be a great next-door neighbor. But I remember one time, like, when I was in Viper before I left, and this is how bad Viper got once they changed <laughs> commands. I was willing to go put a uniform on and go back to the late watch to leave a plain clothes, a marked car, freedom, all that stuff, because it gotten so bad with the people that were in charge. And we were in in-service one day, and Conrad came in and did his little Friday speech, you know, hoorah, at the end. And I stopped him in the hall, and I said, Chief, I need to talk to you. He's like, oh, uh, I'm in a hurry, kind of. And I walked with him. I said, I need to meet with you. And he said, uh, is this something your boss can handle? You probably need to go through your chain of command. I went, they can't help me. I need to meet with you. And he was like, uh, 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 okay. So he got his phone out, and we set up a date, and I went in his office and talked to him. And I laid out for him what was going on in Viper, the stuff, the, the policy violations by the command staff, all the things that were going. They're chasing people off. They're not doing the right thing. Um, we're, we're not going after targets that are criminals, that are violent, because they made deals with the, uh, uh, the people in the community that they wouldn't go on these streets, they wouldn't go on this side of the street. Really weird stuff. Kind of like the wire when they had uh, the yes. New Amsterdam. Yes, yeah, same thing. <laughs> and so, uh, and you know what his answer to me was? He said, well, you can file a grievance. And I went, Chief, you know how it is. I said, if I file a grievance, I'm going to get blackballed. And because that's what happens. You file a grievance against the boss, and you're the bad guy from here on out, and, and my career will be tough. And he was like, yeah, I know it's that way, but that's the only option we got. I'm like, wow, you're the chief. You appointed this person here. Take care of your, you know, be a man, take care of your business because you're losing everybody under you. And from that point on, that's when Viper got dissolved. All the, the people with experience left. You brought in all the young guys who are great guys, great intentions. Just need direction and guidance. Just didn't have experience. Yeah. And then you had those bosses going, go stop that car. Go stop that car. Go stop. Well, what's my reason for stopping? Just stop it. It looks suspicious. Well, you can't do that. Yeah. You know, so you didn't have the older guys in there going, oh, whoa, whoa, pump the brakes, dude. That. That, that don't fly in court or, you know, you're going to get sued or, uh, or hemmed up. And, and then all of a sudden you saw all these lawsuits popping up for mobile nights. Boom, 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 boom. And again, great guys. I had nothing against them. Awesome guys. And their heart was in the right place and stuff. They just, 
lack of leadership. Man, and that's been the tell tall the tell since the beginning of the time of LMPD, man. Yeah, leadership, leadership, leadership. Man, do you or think of when you think of LMPD now, where do you think it's going currently? What's your like prediction for LMPD with the new consent decree coming out? Man, I think you're still going to see a lot less proactivity. Oh yeah. I think uh I think the citizens are going to suffer more than the police. Always. Because the less police do, the more the safer they are, right? We're we're insulated now because we're not jumping out, we're not stopping cars. Uh less chance of you getting into something. But um who suffers? The law-abiding citizens. Always. Who benefits? The criminals. Um again, two nights ago, they stopped I think it was 264. Um Totally blocked the highway, doing donuts in it, lined up traffic way back. They're all videoing it, laughing and stuff. And I'm thinking, this would have never happened 10, 15 years ago. Never would have happened, man. Ever. And um, and it's just sad that these people are now fearful to go to the sh- to the store, fearful they're going to get carjacked if they're stopped at a light. You know, they're scared to get gas. And why is that? It comes from leadership, and it comes down. And eventually, that's where we're at. And the people are going to have to stand up and go, enough is enough. And until they do that, that's my thing. There's man. not going to be much happening. I'm, I don't know why more people are not speaking up and saying, hey, we don't want this crap in our neighborhoods. We want officers to be out here proactive. But it's like they take a small segment of extremists and activists that speak for the people. And we both know people in the hood in the West End, they're not going to talk to you in the, at the you know, at an cr- act of crime scene. Right. When you slide them a card, yeah. they're going to call you. Yep. And it's just so unfortunate, man, that people have to suffer. And the thing, I don't understand why more people are, I felt like by now people would be fed up in the hood, man, and be like, hey, we, this this person don't speak for well, us. Here's what I thought. Here's what I really thought would happen. I, I didn't think the hood would do too much after the protests and all that. I really thought downtown business community would stand up and go, dude, you're killing us. Man, yes. You're killing our revenue. Because money always talks, right? Always. I don't care what it is. Money is the is the driving factor. And I thought they would stand up and go, enough of this and work on a, on a way to, to change the entire leadership, but they didn't. That, that was kind of disappointing. And I don't know if it was just because smaller businesses were affected and they had no juice, you know, because it was the small restaurants. It was the small smoke shops. It was the small things that shut down that never came back. And, um, and your corporations survived, even though their people had to work from home. They were scared to come downtown. So it affected everybody, but nobody was brave enough to stand up and go, enough is enough. You know, what are we going to do to change this thing from here on out? Because if we keep doing the same thing, we're going to get the same result. And, um, and and that's the disappointing part with Louisville. I know it wasn't all the people, but. I mean, what do you, what do you think people are so afraid? I think just in the climate, I think. I, I don't know if they were scared to put a Republican in because of. Because you do have wackos on both sides. Oh, Gary, Let's face 100%, it. dude. And, and I don't know if they were scared. They were, even though even though the guy, what was his name from J-Town? Dearf. Dearf. He's not a wacko. Not even close. He's more middle of the road, probably. He's all about making money. Right. And so he's kind of the old school Democrat. Mm -hmm. Oh, very old school, yes. And so I was hoping they would get somebody like him to kind of bring, in the middle, to bring everybody together. Because that's what we need. When you got the one side, I don't care which side it is, barking at the other, it's just division. Because naturally we get defensive and our chests swell out and we're like, oh, you ain't going to talk to me like that. You ain't going to treat me that way. And uh, nothing can get done that way. And in the department, with the DOJ coming out with their decree, with the department saying what it's saying about the police being racist and 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 uh, all these things, that causes more division. You're now putting us, putting not me, putting the police now in a deeper hole to, to have to, to prove their way out of it when they shouldn't have to prove it. 
No. You know, so I think that's the biggest setback with these DOJ things. I don't think the actual day-to-day operations is going to change much. The one thing I did notice when they came in before they took over is all of a sudden the training budget came a lot. Came oh, to life. Yeah, Weird. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't get training for anything before this. Yep. You know, we begged for it. Nope, not the budget. Nope, not the budget. And suddenly everybody's going to everything. And I'm going, where did this money just appear from? You know, plus we've been short how many officers, 100 officers or 300 now? Yeah, for, for years. a long time. So where is all that money that's allocated in the budget going to them? We're talking millions and millions, of tens of millions of dollars a year. Where's that money at? Because LMPD never had it. No, we ain't we didn't it. have overtime back then. You couldn't get it. Oh, I remember. I tell, the, I tell the young guys now, man, you used to ask for overtime back in the day. Like, nope, somebody's coming to relieve you Two, three you hours right of check now. was big stuff. Oh, man. Now, you know, that's if you ain't doing three or three a day, something's wrong with Dude, you. Dude, we got young cats on the LMPD one, two years on making almost $100,000 a year. Unbelievable. And it's just, man, they, and they think they can do it. Yeah, I and mean, good for them. Good, yeah. But, man, it's... It comes at changed. a cost. It does. And see, my thing is, man, I, I honestly think the the government, whoever it be, an LMPD leash, I don't think that they want officers to be proactive no more. No. I really think they that don't. they're not going to come out and say it, but I really think they want us to go to a firefighter model, hang out, and go put out fires when the fire pops up. I really think that's what they want, just like with the new CAD system we got. It's not very user-friendly. It's not. Bro, no, God, no, mm-hmm. man, I'm trying to. Man, I ran a tag the other day, and it just feeds you so much information. You're like drinking from a fire hose. Like, is it stolen or not? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. That's all I need to know. <laughs> and you got to scroll through this, and you're trying to drive, yo. And then, man, they got this new program they got where, and I honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I also see officers doing less work because anytime you do self-initiated activity, you have to do this new contact form. And so, anytime you stop, and I understand. I mean, technically, we were supposed to be doing this back in the day. Anytime you stop and talk to somebody, what do you do? FI, mm-hmm. a field investigation. I do it where I work at now because I'm not going like 20, 30 calls deep a shift. Right. If I do something proactive, I can stop, take my time, get this guy's info, get his vehicle info, put it in the system. And that's what it was always supposed to be, but LMPD never did it because LMPD's always too busy. Yeah, too short of staff. Too so short everybody's of staff, running, run to the next call, to the next call, to the next call. Man, and it, and it just got to the point where it was just like, I couldn't do that stuff no more, man. And so they got this new system where I think it's a great thing, but at the same time, a part of me fears it's like taking a database on our citizens, man. Like, and I'm like, personally, I'm like, man, if I don't want to give you my information, bro, I'm not giving you my information. Man. Right. You can't make me. If I've I... definitely become more libertarian since this. Uh, oh, I not all the way because some of that stuff's wacko too. Yeah. That, but, yeah. but yeah, a lot more libertarian than I, than I've ever been because I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of overreach, you know, in the, in the government period. And there's always going to be that struggle between the black community and police officers, bro. So uh, my next podcast I'm going to be working on is called utopia does not exist. And I really feel like they're trying to create a utopia where what happens in the black community happens in the white community. The same amount of police activity happens there is going to happen at this part of the stuff, the equity. And I'm like, that is not real as a pipe dream. Yeah. That will, it will never be equal. If you want fair, Wait till June, July, and the state fair comes to town, bro, because that's yeah. literally the only way things are ever going to be, quote-unquote, fair, man. But the citizens could do something next cycle, next election cycle. And I'm not even talking about the, the mayor. You know, He's only got so much control. I'm talking about our judges and our DAs because, for instance, we would have never been at Breonna Taylor's house that night if Jamarcus Clover on one of his previous six felonies that were pending, including one two months prior where there were seven guns and a bunch of dope seized off of him. Why was he not still in jail? How can you be a repeat, 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 let you out, let you out. 
and then keep sending the police after him to do warrants, well, eventually something bad is going to happen. When and you do the did. same, it's a numbers game. When you do the same thing over and over and over, something bad is going to happen. And had he been in jail like he was supposed to be, we'd have never been there that night. So there's a lot of things that you look back on. And did we make mistakes? Absolutely. Police make mistakes. Always. We're humans. I don't care what op you do. When you look back, something always goes wrong because nothing's perfect. You lay it out as a perfect plan, but nothing in life is perfect. Murphy gets a vote. A hundred percent. And so, uh, you know, the failure, where does it start? Does it start at the judicial system at the top? Because everybody wants to bang on the police. But, man, if these guys that were in jail or doing all these crimes stayed in jail. and be a their sentence, story. Life, life would almost be a utopia. Yeah. Uh, not quite, but you know what I'm saying. It'd be a lot better. Yeah, man. But I'm, I'm going to get ready to get out, let you get out. I know you probably got other stuff to do, man. But that, that's also one thing I think they're doing good is they're trying to take more stuff off the police plate, like mental, mental health stuff, putting these mental health teams out in the community because – we shouldn't be dealing with that, no. man. No, we're, we're a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. You know, yeah. but we've had, you know, very little training in all of it. You know, good good a lot, master none or whatever it's called, and, and that's kind of what we are. Yeah, man, and we just, the stress, it adds up, man, after a while, brother. So last thing is, man, do you, with everything you've been through, everything you've gone through, you and your family, is there anything you personally would have done different? That night or career-wise total? Well, I'll say go for both, that night um, and career-wise total. Man, that night, I, you know, I did the way we were trained, unfortunately. And, and it's like when you revert back, everything we do reverts back to training, right? And it becomes reflex. So I had done 2,000 warrants at this time, by this time. I've been shot at in warrants. You know, I've had to fight people. I've, I've, all the stuff that's happened. But you go back to what you do and how you were trained. And that's what we did that night. Do I wish I, we'd done things different? Absolutely. I wish we'd have called them out. Once the door opened, giving it a little more time to yell for her to come out. But because of training, we just did what we did um, because we hadn't been trained the other way, like SWAT had. I wish we had been, but they've been doing that for four years, and they never trained us on it. The department didn't. And one of the SWAT commanders who's retired now said something to me that we begged downtown. We said this is going to be an issue. we got to train all these street platoon guys to call, call people out, and downtown wouldn't let them. So – um, I wish I'd done that um, different. You know, I don't want to say I wish I hadn't been there because somebody got shot that night. And, I, you know, if it had to be anybody, I'm glad it was me, not one of my guys. Um, so that, and again, in my career, maybe just had mixed it up a little more. That would have been about it. Maybe I wouldn't have been there. I have no idea. You know, because oh. I had a great career. I loved what I did. I wasn't ready to go when I went. I came back, and they, they involuntarily transferred me and kicked me out of the unit. And I'm like, I didn't violate policy or break law. I got shot. Why am I getting moved? Oh, we don't have an answer for you. It's for the good of the department. Yeah, man. So I'm like, okay, I see the writing's on the wall. It's time for me to go. Like I said, we got the, got the rehire program if you're interested, man. <laughs> Can they slide me right in a desk job somewhere? <laughs> out of sight, out of mind? Man, you how old are you now? 50. Oh, bro, you can still do this gig, man. You can still do it. <laughs> the desire might not be there. <laughs> so, man, before we go, uh, tell the people where they can find you and where they can find your book. In yeah, the so the book, 12 Seconds in the Dark, if you want to get all the, the little details and, and some pictures and documents, you can get it on Amazon. the easiest way to get it and the cheapest way to get it. Um, if you want to reach out to me on social media, all of all the social medias are at Sergeant Mattingly, A at S-G-T-M-A-T-T-I-N-G-O-Y. My man, my man. Well, John, I man, appreciate your time, man, coming over to the studio. Yeah, keep doing God's show, work man. here, man. I'm trying, man. I'm trying, dude. And you definitely keep it up, man. And ladies and gentlemen, so we're going to get ready to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Like I said, be, be sure to go follow him on all the social media. And if you have not gotten the book, please go get the book. 
There's so much that we talked about today that literally, man, just a small portion of the book, man. There's just so much information. So do yourselves a favor. Go out there, get the book, 12 Seconds in the Dark, and be, be sure to follow Sergeant John Manley. John, we appreciate you, man. Yeah, buddy. Appreciate you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will see y'all on the next one.